Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. If people like you, they'll listen to you. But if they trust you, they'll do business with you. And that's a quote from Zig Ziglar. Before I introduce our amazing guest, I want to invite you to visit lucydumascoaching.com and sign up for your copy of 10 Big Ideas for Marketing High-End Photography in the Real World. And also, I want to thank you for subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast because you'll help it grow and gain more listeners. And I'll send you a great big virtual hug. So my guest today is Rachel Branke, and she is the head attorney and photographer behind the Law Tog. It's a legal resource for photographers. She has an MBA, is a business consultant, multi-state licensed attorney, and she knows the ins and outs of what goes into running a photography business and how to legally protect yourself. Not only does Rachel have real-world photography entrepreneurship experience. That's a mouthful. (laughs) She combines this with her intellectual property law to provide a one-stop resource to help protect your business. And she's also been featured on Creative Live, spoken at WPPI, PPA, as a TEDx talk, and the list goes on. So welcome, Rachel, and thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. Sure. So tell me a little about your photography background and then in a nutshell, how you kind of combined those two loves. I don't know if you love the law, but but I assume you must like it or you wouldn't do it. Yeah, I love it. So what's interesting about the story, you know, you say in a nutshell, because it is kind of a long one had the MBA, was doing business consulting while I was running my other businesses. The way that it came out was people were asking me questions because they knew I ran businesses and that included a photography business. And photography is what helped to financially support me in law school because you're not quote unquote supposed to work like a real job, like, you know, nine to five, that kind of stuff. You don't have the time to dedicate. And so I built my photography business during law school and By the end of it, I had so many photographer friends who were asking me questions about the legal aspects of running a photography business, from contracts to business formation to trademarks to copyright on our photos. And I still obviously get all those questions today. And that's how the Law Talk was born. I combined the two. After law school, I moved into doing more commercial photography. It just is a more logical fit now versus personal portraiture. I'm able to do commercial photography, marketing headshots and stuff for my business consulting clients, which also it all overlaps, you know, with the law firm as well. And so I'd still do that. Not as much as I wish I could just cause, and not a, you know, humble brag here. Our firm has exploded with so many photographers needing help that we're playing catch up to get more attorneys on board with the need and the demand that's there. So yeah, I mean, I pat myself on the back to have corner to market, but it really wasn't because of me. It was because of the photographers who I became friends with while I was 
actively doing portrait and wedding photography, asking me these questions. They were the ones that inspired it, and here we are. I love that story. One of the things I always preach is finding a niche that you are passionate about, and also it's important to find a niche where there's a need. And I don't know anyone else that does what you do. And even if there were a hundred people compared to the amount of photographers that need support, and especially from someone who knows the ins and outs and has been in the business, that is a huge open field that you found. So yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, what's interesting with that is, you know, there's good and bad in every profession, doctors, accountants, whatever. But even if you go to a good attorney, if they have not worked with photographers, when they go to write contracts and stuff, they don't necessarily know when they write A, how is client going to respond to A, you know, and they don't know how to coach a photographer because they don't understand the changes in the industry, the top questions that photographers are getting from their clients when they get the photography contract. Because the reality is majority of these lawyers have never been photographers and most of them never run their own businesses. And yeah, so it is kind of nice having that unique perspective. Yeah, I decided to apply for the trademark, the profitable photographer because I saw that someone was starting to use it in a way that kind of alerted me that it's a good name. (laughs) And finding someone who specialized in trademark and registering, I found was really important. And I wish I'd have thought to chat with you about it first as well. Well, you know, you just said something that was very interesting. You noticed somebody who was starting to use the same name or similar name. And I always tell my clients, if someone shows value in your photos, your business name or anything, believe them. If they're going to infringe, they obviously some value in it. So why should you as the photographer, you as the IP rights holder, why should you not take the steps to protect that value? And so I'm proud of you for doing that. Thank you. Well, it kind of scared me. The whole podcast field is new to me and I did my research and there wasn't anybody using the profitable photographer or even profitable whatever. And funny, now that I've got it out there in the world, I'm seeing it show up. So it must be a good name. So I think I was listening to your podcast and you mentioned the word, the cost of doing business. And I imagine a lot of my listeners are very excited about doing the photography. Maybe they're either happy or at least willing to do their marketing and sales. But my guess is the last thing on most people's minds when they are starting a photography business is dealing with the legal side of having a business and especially having a photography business. And also, of course, you have your business called, it's the Law Tog, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I imagine for the very reason that you just explained that there are, like every single photographer needs to know and needs to handle the business side, the legal side. So can you share the top three or four legal concerns 
that all photopreneurs, and I think I'm going to trademark that. <laughs> we can talk about this. Can you help me with that? Um, that all photopreneurs need to address right now if they haven't already. Yeah, one of the big things, and I, this is my perspective at the Law Talk, at Eden Law, my law firm, even just in my own businesses as an entrepreneur myself, I want to make sure that I am going to invest resources, so it's time, money, and energy to avoid issues. I think one of the biggest overarching problems, and I'll dig into specifics here in a minute on the actual legal topics, but one of the biggest, I guess, problems, the mentalities is you get overwhelmed, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't think you're going to have a problem, so you just ignore it. And it's unfortunate because like the number one thing that I think photographers need to focus on, well, I won't say number one, but let's start there, is contracts. And I see it time and time again. People will post in the Law Talk Facebook group, oh, I don't have money to hire a lawyer, I'm going to write my own, or I'm just going to pull this freebie off the internet, or not going to use one at all. We'll even get inquiries at the law firm saying, you know, how much is a contract? And I tell them it's X amount of hours and this is our rate. And they go, I don't have the money for that. Or, or they just don't see the value in it, right? They go on their way. And then they circle back around eight, nine, 10 months later when they have a problem. It costs more time, money, and energy, those resources to clean up a problem because contracts themselves not only set the legal relationship, they set expectations because so it's a communication tool. It's also a customer service tool because think about it. The contract is just the bar. You can always go above and beyond it to do for your clients. You just can't take away. And I think that's one of the mentalities, you know, wrapping into that contracts example is, oh, I don't think I'll have a problem. So it's not a big deal. So I'm not going to worry about it. And I don't see the value in hiring a lawyer. And again, not saying this as an attorney, you guys can go to anybody. You don't have to come to me, but I'm saying this as an entrepreneur who doesn't want to spend time and money and energy having to be stuck in a lawsuit. What's funny while we're sitting here, I actually just got a phone call and an email because we just got an opinion where we won a case for a small business. And it was on this very core issue that they had a contract, but it was so old. It was so cobbled together that they had written themselves, there were things that were left out that while we won, we didn't have the full force the protection could have had had we had a solid contract. And even then, I don't think, and this is, they came to me, this client came to me when they had a problem. They, I wasn't with them before. But had they come before, we might have been able to reduce the issues. Because one of the biggest problems that I see between photographers and clients is miscommunication. That's where the majority of these legal issues come out or lack of education, like when it comes to copyright, which I'll get to here in a second. So contracts, and we could do eight hours of talking just on that. And someone has affectionately referred to me before as the contracts queen, but it's because it is like the foundation of everything in your photography business. It's going to protect, it's going to communicate, and it's going to allow you to offer customer service. And so if you guys don't have that, I really encourage you. That is one of the top things that you need to have in your business. And you know what? I'm not saying this as an attorney who makes all this money, because guess what? When I started entrepreneurship, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. We were sleeping on a single mattress on the floor. I was in the twin mattress. My husband was on the floor, active duty army, young, young bucks. We had like no money. And I waited tables in the evenings. He was active duty during the day and we reinvested our money 
back into the business. And one of the very first things I did was get legal protection, including contracts. And so I, anyways, I just share that to say, you know, it may not be that easy in your situation, but just understand I'm not sitting in this ivory tower saying you must have this. It's really important. I recognize the value and I see every day when the value is not recognized or that info is not received, which is why I'm more than happy to do, you know, freely do podcasts like this with you. Cause I want you guys to have that information. I want you to be protected. So contracts is number one. And there's a lot within that, you know, and that can carry over into the next few things that I'm going to mention as well. So number two, number two, I mean, within that, let's kind of wrap insurance is not really a legal thing, but insurance and business formation. So if you take contracts, business formation and insurance, those kind of are like the three, <laughs> you uh -huh. know? know that, that you you really need to have to help protect yourself liability wise and you know we just had a thread in our group it was a personal issue that a photographer had and because she had certain structures in place she was an LLC and she had put her assets in there properly she had all of this she's able to work to protect herself you never know what's going to happen in life I say it all the time you never have an issue until you have an issue you don't know if it's going to be with your client you don't know if it's going to be with your partner you don't know if you're going to get cancer, me, I'm pointing at myself. I've had it. You know, you don't know when these things are going to happen. And so having liability protection there for you is going to help. So contracts, liability insurance, and like a business formation, such as a limited liability company or corporation. So do you think that having an LLC or corporation is like, when is somebody ready for that? Or did they do it from the start? So here's the, here's the problem when we get into this discussion. People and I say people because it's not just photographers, believe that this is a CPA discussion. But it's not just a CPA discussion. It's CPA and lawyer. I think you should talk to a lawyer talking to determine, do you need one of those structures? Because I hardly, I don't think I've actually ever recommended being a sole proprietor. LLC, limited liability company, at a minimum. The reason you want to talk to a lawyer is because you want to talk about this liability limitation. You want to try to protect your personal assets, your personal self, because you are also an asset. You're, you have income earning potential. The other side of the coin is you also need to talk to a CPA. The reason I give this context, it's not just a quick answer, is so many people run to a CPA. CPA tells them, well, there's no tax benefits to you to be in an LLC or corporation, so don't bother. While over here, when I have to clean up a legal problem, you're being personally on the hook versus having that liability protection in a financial way. And it's hard. So to answer your question, I think you need to look at both sides. Talk to a CPA for the tax. That's their thing. That's what they're there for. I know enough tax to be dangerous, but I'm going to send you a CPA, but also talk to a lawyer to say, which structure is best for me. I, and don't take this as legal advice, general information, but working with photographers, the, the majority of photographers I work with are solo photographers. They may have associates. They may not. The majority don't, or they may have a partner. That's few and far between. It's primarily single photographers. And I'm not meaning like marital status. I just mean like solo, single photographer. Those fit into the LLC framework very well. Sometimes I think a corporation is a bit overboard, but that's where the tax discussion comes into play. The other question you often hear, and this is kind of where if people run to a CPA first and they just stop there, is a CPA may tell you, hey, you don't need to be this type of business because in the eyes of the IRS, you're only making X amount of money. You don't need to be set up as one. Well, because then you're considered a hobby. But 
the flip side of that, let's flip back to the lawyer side. You guys can't see me. My hands are going nuts from one side <laughs> to the other. Flipping back to the lawyer side, while from a tax perspective, you may be seen as a hobby, you may not be seen as a hobby under business laws. You're putting yourself out like a business, you're held to the standard of a business. You may have liability, so you may need to still have that protection. So, you know, we're ping-ponging back and forth. The biggest questions are, which structure should I choose? Let me look at it from a liability perspective and let me look at it from a tax perspective. And then really that's the only, it's not, should I have one? It's which one should it be? And my recommendation is you're putting yourself out like a business. It doesn't matter if you're actually in the black, if you're, you know, your ledger is all red, the young bucks won't know what that means. Probably <laughs> showing our age here a little bit. Uh, but if, if it's in the red, you're still, if you're still actively putting yourself out like a business, you still could be potentially legally liable for an issue. And it may not even be something you cause, you know, and, and, and I'm going off a little bit on the trail here and I'll wrap up what you just asked. But one of the problems that I see with many entrepreneurs, not just photographers, is you have this mindset of, well, I'm going to do everything right. And that's great. You may have done everything right in a situation, but if a client gets a bee in their bonnet and files a claim against you, you can't just say, hey, I did everything right and it goes away. What do you have to do? You still have to show up in court or deal with the letters from their attorney to explain that, and that's an outlay of cash resources and still potential open liability. So just understand that you want to take all these steps that we're talking about are trying to set yourself up for, you know, um, conservatively so you're not having high risk. Because I know many of you photographers would rather be focused on photography and right. not dealing with me as right. a lawyer that has to help dig you out of an issue. And I want you to keep your money too. Because in the reality, when you have, when you haven't done these steps and you have a problem, who is the only party that wins? The lawyers. Right. So, you know, I've just met today and I'm super excited. To <laughs> so you don't know that I have a certain woo-woo side to me going into the power of attraction. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I was also thinking about the people have said, do I need my business license? When do I need to start paying taxes or, you know, collecting sales tax and all that? And I feel that when we say, I'm going to go into business, and then we do those things, the business license, getting the tax ID, deciding on, you know, all the things you're talking about, it is telling the world, the universe, our higher self, baby Jesus, I don't know who's out there, what that force is that supports us, but there's something that leads to more success when we do things professionally. Agreed. I have clients that will say, well, what if I pay you cash? Would I get a better price? And some photographers would be like, yeah, because then I won't claim it on my taxes and then I'll save their sales tax. Well, that little bit of fudging not only hurts, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's not legal, but it also kind of drains that professionalism bank account. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. And so I tell clients, I'm going to pay taxes on this, whether you pay me cash or write me a check. So, you know, I can't give you a better price because of that. And I'm also excited that when, cause I probably charged for first six months or a year on and off. And then in 82 in February, I got my business license 
And now being able to look back on that moment when I told the world, I'm a business, that I'm still in business now almost 38 years. Such a good feeling. And I will admit, there's a lot of those things that you do and you're suggesting that I didn't do right away and I wish I had. But you know what the good thing about that is? And, then, and I'm glad you mentioned that because you guys can hear it. Like I'm so like aggressive about it because I have been on the phone with photographers who are crying that they're going to lose a income stream that their family relies upon maybe because they didn't do anything wrong, but they didn't have a good contract. They didn't have attorney's fees. They didn't have an LLC. And like, so I, I, my like aggressiveness right now, zealousness for <laughs> recommending this is because of all the pain and the money and the time and the energy that I've seen photographers spend. I mean, let me give you just a rough number. I mean, in this, and I've shared this on many podcasts. It happens all the time. People, and I mentioned it before, they write their own contract. They don't want to spend like $800 or whatever it is to write it. But guess what? You can end up in litigation where it costs you $8,000. So let's just look at it from a numbers perspective, which is smarter, right? Would you hedge your bets with 800 or you want to leave it open to maybe have potentially do? And guess what? Every single client that has had a problem like that, what do they end up having to do in the end? They end up still having to spend the money to redo their contract. Right after having the issue. So, you know, and like I said before, I'm not saying this as a lawyer. I really am saying this as a mom of five, as a creative myself. My family has always relied upon my entrepreneurial pursuits. Some of you may, some of you may be at the side. And that is really important to me to protect that with everything that I can. So something I heard you say early on about writing contracts in a way that our clients, I'm not sure the term you used, but what I heard was that I think you meant was A, would not put a potential client off because it's too punitive or legally sounding or ick and possibly writing one in a way that enhances their feeling about our businesses. Am I summarizing that right? Was that? Yeah, yeah. You know, drafting contracts is actually an art form. And many people think lawyers are not very artsy, but there really is an art form to doing it. It's not slapping words on a paper. And that is one of the unfortunate things is that people think, oh, I can do this. But guess what? You could end up writing against yourself when you don't even realize it because you don't know contract law. You can leave stuff out. And, and this could even happen with an attorney who doesn't necessarily know photography. Like they may give you a good contract, but it may not be drilled down into the specifics that your photography clients also need. But the other piece that I really don't see happening a lot is that many photographers will go to a lawyer. Fantastic. Two thumbs up. You can't see me. I'm doing it. Thumbs up. But what'll happen is you walk away and you don't know how to explain it to your photography clients, you know? And so that's one of the things that we do at the firm and what I'm trying to do through the law talk, but it's, a, it's hard when there's a whole, you know, there's a broad variety of ways to write contracts. But one of the things that we try to do is walk through with our clients to make sure that they understand, that the photographer understands what's in the contract, that the language is not too archaic with like, where to, here fours, and there, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, I hate that. And trying to make it legally protected, understood by photographer, easily explainable by photographer, and definitely understandable by the client. Because we don't want a contract to be a barrier to 
creating that relationship with your client. And you said it earlier, professionalism, you know, and actually clients, whether you realize it or not, it's all kind of like part of a buyer psychology, which I've been wanting to write a book on this forever. It's one of my most passionate topics, which I'm obviously not really known for, but I use it in all my businesses. When you build up this buyer's confidence, think of it like a bucket and you're building up their confidence with information, how to get booked, how much they have to pay, when's the session, you know, what happens if I need to reschedule, cancel, all of this, which FYI, that is like the first part of a photography services contract, all those things I just listed. But when you're providing all of this information and you're pouring into a client's bucket, you're filling their buyer's confidence, you're able to remove objections, you make them feel more confident, you know, we always, I'm stopping midstream here because I want to make a point with that is that we hear and see in groups and from other photographers all the time, oh, the consumers, the clients are just price shopping. And that's a whole nother discussion from the, another day, the way that consumer trends are going. But I also think that too many people put a blame on that and don't realize why is it because the only real information that the client has received is how much you cost. You haven't filled their bucket with confidence of information. You haven't filled their bucket with creating engagement and authenticity and setting expectations. So the less that's in that client's confidence bucket and knowledge bucket, the less likely they are to pay you a good amount of money, the less likely they are to book you. And contracts help to fill that void for you. And that's why I mentioned earlier, they're a communications tool, but they help to provide that you know, that tool that is probably a void in your photography business right now. And I do like contracts in that they are qualifiers. They will keep tire kickers or people that are price shoppers or whatever you want to call it, scammers. I know I'm not saying all clients are scammers, but I'm talking about those that truly intend to do a session and not pay you type of thing. It's going to qualify people that are not necessarily serious. that are not your client. And so that's another thing. I'm, I just added a number four to the reasons to have a contract is that it says professionalism and it helps to be a qualifier. And yeah. I think that's huge for yeah, creatives. It is. So, hey, can we go on to number three, which yeah, under- yeah, yeah. is copyright maybe, or is there another number three? No, that's great. Copyright is number three. And that's because we are a very unique business. The majority of businesses out there all have intellectual property, which is copyrights, trademarks, because we all have business names, logos, etc. But the majority of businesses aren't necessarily selling IP or intellectual property. But as photographers, we're selling photographs. Yes, we're selling services, the experience, yada, yada. But when we dig down to the basics, we are selling photographs. And that's not to devalue to say that, you know, there's not artwork and it's not the work put into it, but the actual physical product, whether it's digital, physical. And that's unique in the sense that we have an entire body of federal law that protects that photograph. And copyright knowledge, there's so much misinformation out there. There's lack of information, especially by other attorneys out there. And photographers, if you've already gotten through the other steps that we've talked about and you don't know much about copyright or you think you do, I really encourage you to dig in and understand your rights in the protection tools that you can use for copyright. Because in my business, in my law firm, 
the number one thing that we do is copyright infringement. Why is that? Because of the onslaught of social media website, people think that anybody can use photographs. You see it, it, the classic case, and it happens even from the largest corporations, which is kind of my thing. I love representing the small guy against the large big bad corporation who thinks they can just steal photographs and utilize them without pay or credit or anything. Even large corporations are doing this. Copyright infringement is rampant. And it honestly, don't take this as not to do this, but putting metadata, putting watermark, disabling right click, that's not going to stop people. People are still going to do it. So it's incumbent upon you to know your rights and the tools and things that you can do to make sure that your photographs are protected. I could probably do a whole show on just Oh, that. girl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, huge. I'm sure you know this, but the Professional Photographers of America has been lobbying hard for, I don't know how long, a year or two years to get Congress and now the Senate, I think it's going on to the Senate, to pass a law where we can take someone to small claims court for copyright infringement. So that let's say I have a client that steals a photograph that I posted on my Facebook and makes prints of it and I, I don't sell digitals, that I could take that person to court and not have to pay a lawyer and get some kind of potential judgment for it. Right now, it has to be a big deal. So, you know, one of the reasons I believe in supporting my industry, even if I got nothing out of PPA tangibly, Professional Photographers of America, it would be because they're a nonprofit that for 150 years has been committed to our profession and not only communicating the importance of hiring professional photographers, but protecting us and our rights and our perception as an industry. So, yeah, I, I'm a little afraid to ask you any more questions, Rachel, about copyright because I yeah. know. Well, I think the biggest things with that, and can I just touch on the PPA thing with mm -hmm. this small claims bill? I want to differentiate to understand that, and admittedly, I need to go back and see what the final version was. Um, it's on my to-do list over the holidays, actually, to sit down and have time to dig into it. And when they say small claims, it's not small claims in the sense that you go down to your local state court. It's, it's almost, it's a voluntary administrative proceeding with the copyright office. And the unfortunate thing, at least last time I read it, was if I, if you stole my photographs and I wanted you to come in to do in this quote unquote small claims administrative proceeding, there are ways that you can opt out of it, and it puts me right back in the position I was in before. So really quickly on copyright, though, you can send demand letters, you can send invoices, you can have things taken down off of social media when you find your images being infringed. The reality is photographers, even if this bill was perfect, and no bills are perfect, right? So I'm not poo-pooing the whole idea. I think some progress is better than no progress um, because that's the only way that we can move things along. But... I really do think that there is a responsibility of photographers. We need to start, and I was alluding to this earlier, we need to start realizing under our copyright laws right now, there's unregistered and registered. So yes, you photograph, generally speaking, you have the copyrights. But when a large company takes your photograph, if you have not registered with the copyright office, it is very weak claim. There is not enough teeth 
to that argument. You, like I said, you, you can do a demand letter, you can do all of that, but having a registration, and it's kind of almost like car insurance, right? You don't want to drive around all day and not have insurance, and the second you get into a car wreck, go and get insurance and then want them to pay for your car wreck. That's copyright registration needs to happen. I'm generally speaking, because we don't want to get into the two specifics here. We have a whole free copyright guide on the law talk. I do like a 45 minute video about it. But if I leave nothing with you guys here, if you've now noted down because you've been listening and you want to learn more about copyright, copyright registration is a huge need. And the majority of times it's not your clients that are infringing. It's going to be a third party that's going to take the photograph and use it without permission. Okay. Uh, you just exploded my brain here. So <laughs> I have to go find that. So would number four be trademark? I know we touched on that with my trademark registration issues. So yeah, trademarks are a big one. Um, I feel like so trademarks are typically going to be your logo or your business name. You can do slogans and so forth as well. But photographers, it really falls into those two categories, business name or logo. And I think it's really important, especially in this day and age when we are social media, right? I can go to Facebook and I can find your page in two minutes. Not even that. But it'll take me two minutes if there's 500 other people with the same business name as you. And the, the trademarks don't protect the artwork itself like copyright does. Copyright protects like the photograph or the artwork of your logo. Trademark, the difference is it's protecting your logo or business name as what's called a source indicator. So it's the identifier of your business. It's what you're building your brand upon. It's connecting the goods and services that you provide to your business name or your logo. And there's a lot of reasons to do it, but the main one is for consumers to know where the goods and services they're receiving are coming from. Another thing too is from the business owner's side, you can keep other people from using a same or similar name for same or similar goods or services or logo. And what I see happen all the time, and this is kind of where I hesitated a little bit, was photographers will just pick a business name. They don't do the search to see if anybody has a trademark. They don't do a search to see if anyone else is doing the same name. and Actual confusion happens all the time. Someone will set up a business name in Florida because it was available in the Florida system. But then someone in California will use the exact same name because it was available in the California system. Neither person ever did trademarks. But then all of a sudden, you're finding that there's actual confusion. One would think, how is there confusion from clients logging onto social media or websites and booking the wrong photographers? It happens all the time. Mm. And that's actual confusion. So I think the bottom line question without us, and I have a free trademark guide on this too in video, is why would you want a business name or logo, but why would you want a business name that's the same as somebody else's? You might have confusion to your customers. You're going to have to fight for search engine optimization. You're fighting for branding. And what if the other business owner is a crappy business owner with a bad reputation and bad reviews? You don't want that imparted upon you. So a lot of times, you know, photographers as creatives spend a lot of time and money on their branding, their logo, their website, and all of that, but they don't protect that. They're leaving it out for the taking and the attachment of bad reputation by someone else. Confusion, you know, loss of clients, trademarks can help protect all that. That's it in a nutshell. Trademark and copyright are very complex areas of law, which I want to soapbox here to say, go to a lawyer. 
but make sure, please, 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 please. So you guys don't waste your time and money and energy. Go to a lawyer that understands intellectual property law. It is a very nuanced area of law. It's a very specialized area. And so make sure that you do find someone that is knowledgeable, raising my hand, because I am, I do this. I mean, I can do it across the U.S. because it's federal, but I know I have contacts in other states for you guys as well. I have other lawyers that come to me and I do all of their IP work because it is such a unique area. And, you know, maybe we should have started with three and four copyright and trademark because while, you know, one, two, and three, we talked about contracts, insurance, and business formation. That's all like financial and personal liability limits, limitation, like limiting all that. Right. But copyright and trademarks are really more about protecting your business, the product that you're selling. So with copyright and then the brand that you're developing your trademark and you will have a problem. You may have to rebrand. You'll have confusion. You may get someone else's reputation imparted upon you. So if you haven't even considered copyright and trademark as key things to work on, I encourage you to do that in the new year for sure. So Rachel, here's a little example in my life. <laughs> she said sheepishly, when I started my business, my last name was not as cool as Dumas is now. It was Nowlin, which no one can spell it. It's N-O-W-L-I-N. It's just not a good, you know, Lucy Nowlin photography. So I called it the creative photo. And there were people who definitely liked that. You know, I called you because I want somebody creative. I didn't know there was a company in town, not just, you know, San Francisco, but in San Diego called Creative Photography. And there was lots of confusion in that. Now, luckily, I was focused in weddings. And at the time, they were doing portraits. And then I married Mr. Dumas and got this great last name. And I actually hung on to the albatross of the creative photo way too long and should have just switched it. But yeah, absolutely. And did it hurt my business? I'm sure it does. So you are 100% right. And if I could go back in time, that would be one thing I would change. So there was a term when I was listening to one of your podcasts about marketing legalities. And I'm not sure what that is, if we've already covered that area, or can you explain that topic? Yeah, for sure. So Federal Trade Commission and consumer protection laws that exist federally and statewide all regulate ways that you can market. And there are legal requirements to that. The use of testimonials, um, referral marketing, you know, having your clients be part of like a model program, a a senior spokesman type program is a good classic example. That's all regulated. And those are some of the key things you need to identify to make sure you're in line with that. From a more privacy standpoint, but privacy and marketing, you know, you've seen privacy policies and the use of email lists and how that applies. That is really, and I called this years ago, clap myself on the back because as the onslaught of social media has exploded, I mean, (laughs) you talk to anybody, everyone knows what Facebook is, right? And even my mother utilizes Facebook and they, they being the powers that be the government and so forth is cracking down to help consumers. It's a consumer protection thing and setting the standard higher for businesses. You're 
hey business, you're collecting consumer data. What are you doing with it? Are you selling it? How are you collecting it? Are you sharing it? Can the consumer know what data you have on them? And this can include from your Google Analytics to Facebook pixels for you to utilize for ad marketing all the way through your newsletter marketing. So all of that are also marketing legalities, and I just gave you guys the bullet point list there, so jot it down, rewind if you need to, under privacy policy type areas that you need to identify to make sure that you're in line with requirements. Because there are states, and actually, I don't know when you're gonna air this episode, we're coming the near the end of 2019 here. California is about to come out with a huge change in their privacy laws. It kind of models the EU's version of the GDPR, well, EU's law, which is GDPR, and it's all about general data protection. And because they're wanting to know what businesses are doing with data and how they're collecting it. And many states are kicking up into this. California is not the first. There are already laws on the books. So when you say marketing legalities, yeah, how you're tracking your consumers or your potential clients and how you're marketing to them, there are legal laws in place. So the quick review of that be like privacy laws, such as email marketing and online marketing, use of testimonials and referral marketing. Referral marketing meaning? Like having a client referral program or if you're working with a local business, hey, Sally Spa, send me a client, I'll give you $25, that has to be disclosed. Right. To the client. So the business couldn't just hand over the phone numbers to us and for us to call up and say, you know, so-and-so spa, like their client would have to agree mm -hmm. to let me yeah, receive their yeah. contact info for some kind of special or reward. Yeah, on the privacy side, but even taking the privacy aspect out of it, let's say that my photography business gets into a relationship with Sally Spa down the street because we have the same potential client. We have the same client pool. And I say, hey, Sally, for every client you send me, I'm not going to give you any info, but any client that comes in your doors that you send me, I'm going to give you $25. And Sally says, okay, well, that relationship, the fact that Sally is going to be making recommendations to her customers and sending them to me, the fact that Sally's getting paid the 25 bucks needs to be disclosed to that client that's being sent over to me. It's a consumer protection thing. Got it. So that just like uh, think back in the wedding industry, where people give lots of referrals and there were some, let's say, not let's say, but wedding coordinators who only referred people who would give them a kickback. And so if the, the bride did not know that everyone on this list is paying me to refer them, then that, that is kind of, I can see that being problematic. Am I on the right track? Yes. Yeah. Like when I gave referrals, nobody paid me. I just gave referrals because I wanted them to have a great wedding day and I wanted my friends to get work because I liked them and what they did. But if, if they were paying me, then it does seem fair to me that the client would know, yeah, I like working with them and I also get financial gain. So that's fascinating. I had never thought of that specifically as a legal issue. Wow. So is there any one last thing you want the audience to come away with 
or that I haven't squeezed out of you like yeah no this is a lot of info and here's the deal though like it's all very high level even though I tried to really give tangible things so you could like Google search check for on the law talk and all of that it is so important that you don't just one and done these tasks don't just go get a contract check the box and never come back to it it needs to be like a living, breathing document always making sure that it's updated create a relationship with your local attorney because I'm telling you guys it's not if an issue happens it's gonna be when and I'm yes it will save you money and that's my goal for you guys I don't want you <laughs> and maybe my lawyer friends are not gonna be thrilled with this piece of advice but I'd rather you guys keep your money in your pockets versus giving money to other lawyers, you know, and time and energy and all of that. So understand all of these things we talked about are not one and done. They should be living, breathing things. I always, just like you meet probably every year with your CPA, you should meet at least every year with your attorney, do a business audit, because as you grow, because you guys are going to grow in success in your photography business, your needs change, your liability grows, and you want to make sure that all your legal stuff is caught up with that. Yes. And I will say, because I did not have liability insurance for way too long. And to, and it was more a matter of just not getting around to it. Hmm. And that fear lived inside of me at all times. And when I bit the bullet and, you know, gave the insurance company $400 a year, just the peace of mind, knowing that we have our ducks in a row, that increases our energy, our magnetism, our prosperity, because we have bandwidth energetically, you know, going into my woo-woo yeah, <laughs> to no, attract true. more goodness, more prosperity, more great clients. So yeah, you are preaching to the choir here. So hey, do you have, I just had this idea this morning to ask about a favorite book or two. Do you have currently a favorite book you would recommend like a, a business wise yeah not like a novel but I was gonna say well my favorite <laughs> one is where the red fern grows I read it in like middle school but mine was a wrinkle in time so okay favorite business or inspiration book I think my favorite book you know I was talking some about the consumer and buyers confidence it's called Influence, The Power of Persuasion, and I always butcher his name. It's Dr. Richard Caldini. If you go on Amazon and you just search Influence, Power of Persuasion, it'll pop right up. I refer to it all the time. It's foundational things that you can do in sales, in marketing, in talking to your clients, in creating your contract with your lawyer. It's grounded in the psychology and how you present things and how a consumer responds to it. I love it. Thank you for that. I, I just had that little brainstorm this morning when I was um, doing another podcast because I love great books. My current favorite one is called The War of Art. If you haven't read that, Rachel, it just totally blew my mind. Not The Art of War. The Art of War is a thousand-year-old Chinese book and I did buy that by accident <laughs> so before I think amazing Rachel I want to remind you to stay tuned for my quick wrap-up where I will kind of pull out some of the gems that have stood out to me 
And I want to remind you, listeners, that I would love to support your success. So please send me a quick email, lucy at lucydumas.com, Lucy with an I, or log on to lucydumascoaching.com and get in touch with me so we can have a quick conversation. And who, Rachel, <laughs> this has like been a fire hose of amazing stuff. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. I know the listeners are going to get so much out of this, and I imagine you'll get a lot of people connecting with you. Oh, and I forgot to ask you, how do people find you? And I know you have an offer for them. Yes, you can check out all of this at thelawtalk.com. We have years worth of articles, videos, you name it. We also have contract template forms. And, but I also think one of the best resources we have that's free is the Law Talk Facebook group. We have over 52,000 members, years worth of posts. I have an admin team that helps to answer questions. And we really can dig into some of the hot topics, so controversial topics that may be plaguing the industry, as well as just general questions you have. And we have really good members that help to answer questions there. So thelawtog.com. We also have a free contract form linked at thelawtog. It's right at the top. You can click right on it, get in that. You'll get on the email list and we'll also be able to drip you content that you need to know because you don't know what you don't know. Thank you for that. So I know there's a discount code for your listeners and it will be in the show notes, but profit and then underscore and TOG TOG and then dash 10. And it does have an expiration on it to be determined <laughs> about six weeks after this show airs, we'll say. Yeah. yeah, we wanted to do it based on your schedule to get everyone opportunity. So yeah, that code is going to be 10% and then we'll set the expiration, like you said, about six weeks after this airs and we'll give it to you so you can stick it in the show notes. And so that's off of any forms or other Yep. Forms, classes, you name it. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Rachel. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And stay tuned because maybe I'll book you again and we can just talk copyright. Yeah. Okay. Bye for now. Wow. So where do I start with the wrap up? <laughs> First of all, I just love Rachel's energy and her passion it's clear that she is not just doing this for money, but because she really, really wants photographers to have their legal ducks in a row and have super prosperous businesses. So when I ask her three or four areas that are important for us to be concerned about, she said, number one is contract and saving miscommunication and having contracts written in a way that we can explain them to our clients is really vital. So that was number one. Number two is that we need to have our business formation proper and proper insurance and whether we're an LLC or some other kind of corporation. And it sounded to me like she thinks that we all need to be incorporated in some way whether or not it has any financial advantage in the short run, it can protect us and our assets, our home, our car, our, you know, future <laughs> financially and legally. 
she talked more about contracts and how it can help a buyer feel more confident. So when clients come to us, she referred to that they have a bucket that needs to be filled with knowledge and confidence. And so when we have great contracts, it helps people feel like we know what we're doing. We're not a fly-by-night studio. We are professional. So I really liked knowing that. Another area we talked about was copyright. And she said the importance of registering a copyright, which is a whole big conversation. And we talked about the importance of trademarking our business name and finding a name that is not like anyone else's. And I didn't talk to her about what if we use our own names? Is that, you know, how can we do that and and not be competing with someone with the same name? And then I never heard the topic marketing legalities. The regulations on testimonials on privacy, on how we can market, how we collect data, newsletters, all kinds of things that our new laws are being uh, implemented to protect consumers. So I find that pretty fascinating. would like to know more about that. And then she recommended that book, Influence the Power of Persuasion. And I'm going to look that up right now because it sounds like She references that over and over and over again. So again, I hope you got a lot out of today. I know I did. And I thank you for listening and tuning in next time. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.